This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We got our friend Lee from Docmo on the show today. He's a... Uh, He's from South Carolina originally, but it's been in Houston for what? What part of South Carolina? Upstate, just south of Greenville, Fountain Inn, if you know the area. I don't. I'm pretending like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Jay's just shaking his head like, yeah, My, yeah, my yeah, family lived in the other Carolina, the North Carolina. I assumed it was kind of all the same, but yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, not dissimilar, although our uh, barbecue sauce is better. Oh, really? Man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Dude. Wait, you guys have like that golden barbecue sauce there, right? Mustard base versus- Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> love it, man. Yeah, love me some mustard base. It can get too tangy for my taste at some, yeah. time, at some point, but I do like my mustard base. What, what are your thoughts on uh, like raising canes versus- uh, I am, it's, I like low sugar. My meat doesn't need sugar. Yeah. yeah. And so I like, I like my sugary chocolates and stuff, of course, but just not on my meat. And so I rarely buy barbecue sauce and I'm not, I'm not like some big barbecue sauce. <laughs> I don't sauce want any sugar in my meat either. Yeah. 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 We'll have to, uh, you know, we'll have to have a, a barbecue showdown sometime. Yeah. Because South Carolina too. versus, versus Texas. Oklahoma's not in the race. Yeah, they, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> they're not Anytime even on the table, I can take guys. a shot at Oklahoma yeah. barbecue. So. Is, that, is that ketchup based? What's yeah, that? they're just shitty food based. Mm. Is what they are. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, real quick, man, tell me what uh, what Docmo is uh, at a high level, and we'll dive into it. Yeah, so so Docmo is it stands for Document Modus Operandi, and so the kind of the meaning there is. In business, a lot of our kind of software deliverables end up as a document or a report or something mm -hmm. like that. Pull in the data, get the data process, it do your intelligence, comes out as a document. And so modus operandi, we've, you know, we kind of help you get to that point. That's the idea. We're a software development shop. Modus operandi. Modus operandi, yeah. I've never heard that. I've heard it before, but I can't remember what it means. So I, it's, I, don't, pretty, I couldn't tell I'm you pretty, exactly pretty, what pretty, it means. I'm pretty simple. I'm like, I get, I get the docmo. Like, let's just keep it docmo. <laughs> it's like the SOP, standard operating procedure, like okay. modus operandi. That's a Latin term, I think. It's like yes. when you say, "Oh, your mo," Definitely right? The, Everybody's the, MO, yeah, yeah, yeah. the way to do it, the way to do it to get your documents docmo. Yeah. Dude, yeah. is that what it really? I thought mo stood for main objective. <laughs> my entire life. <laughs> Holy we can call it that. That's cool. Holy shit. It only took me 30, 33 years to, to learn what, what MO stands for. So which, so which part of like the value chain are you guys focused on? Or is it like, is it kind of everything? Yeah. So, so we build Microsoft Excel customizations and Windows desktop apps. Okay. So real unique niche that we're in. We're on the on-prem, on-premises software. We're not your cloud. We're not building stuff you load into your web browser. We're building an add-in to Excel. We're building a Windows app that... You know, it's all for your internal operational procedures. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we kind of found ourselves here because that's where the work is. A lot of people are working in Excel. Um, well, and, you're not having to like go to ENPs and be like, listen, guys, I really need you guys to buy Excel so that we can plug something. Everybody is already totally ingrained in the Microsoft suite. Yes, sir. Everybody is using on-prem software. The cloud stuff is actually much harder to come in and pitch. And so like this reminds me of almost like Q Engineering. Like they came in. And everybody had Spotfire and they just offered a plug-in and built a great business out of that. Like you're just piggybacking on what everybody already has well, and what I mean, they're already working. Look, as much as we trash Excel, it is the most successful app 
of all time, arguably. I still so. use Excel. <laughs> it's ubiquitous. Yeah. It's ubiquitous. And, and so it, you're right. It's trashed a lot. And I can't disagree with the trashing of Excel. The, the problem with depending on Excel only is because you do it differently. Colin does it differently than Jake, than Lee. And so you, you miss all that control around your process. Mm. And as you start growing, that becomes a problem. Yeah. You can't be producing a proposal or the report completely differently. You're going to forget whole portions of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that lack of control is the issue. And I maybe ironically, that lack of control or the impetus behind that lack of control is why you're in Excel in the first place. You know, I like to say bit businesses should their software environment should be 80% contained inside one ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Like that's your Salesforce, that's your internal database. There's one central thing hub for 80% of your software. The 20% is the changes, the unique stuff, the exceptions, the we're starting a new initiative, we're doing our proposals differently, we're have new constraints for how we're drilling this well and so we got to change the program, right? All that 20% stuff is done outside of the big bad hub mm -hmm. and all that 20 percent stuff oftentimes includes excel yeah i mean if i look at the uh analogy for us you know really our workflow happens in notion slack and active campaign like that's kind of like mm -hmm. our stack right and so 80 percent of our operations live within within that stack um so that's really interesting because I mean, most startups that we talk to that come on this show, cloud-based software. Um, so to hear someone saying, hey, we're actually you know, on-prem and just building within, <laughs> within the tools that you use every day is actually uh, uh, pretty contrarian. Uh, Very, so, yeah, so I, I actually heard of a guy the other day. He was a, a solopreneur. He had a $20 million a year business and no employees. And he was literally building Google Sheets plugins. That's it. I, I may have seen that link. I think it was, I, it was on my first million. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I may have posted, seen you, yeah. you you share that recently. That is yeah. like, what a cool story that is. Yeah. It reminds me of the Craigslist story. I mean, Craigslist, and they're, they're doing like a trillion postings a day or something, or a month or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a, a shop of 17 people. Yeah, so I think crazy. Craigslist has the highest revenue per employee out of any, any was it internet again? company. It's something crazy. I, can, I don't know it off the top of my head. But. That was like 3 million or is it 13 million? No, it's like... It's 13. Yeah. Plus. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're big, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. But um, it's funny because it kind of reminds me of a story. I remember back in like 2018 or 2019, we go to that oil and gas company and they essentially wanted Jake and I to help them um, scope out a, a team to build this internal software. And Jake's like, okay, tell me what you guys are trying to solve. And then like in 10 minutes, he found this uh, Google Sheets plugin. <laughs> and solved the problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we totally, okay, get this. They wanted to give us like half a million dollars to solve this problem. And we totally fucked ourselves out of the money. Cause I was just like, I was like, I was like, get out of your seat. I was like, and I went in there and I just plug, get, did a few plugins. I was like, Would this work? Yeah. I was like, here, you're done. Yeah. And they're like, uh, that's it. And I was like, oh man, I really should have just figured out. Yeah. At least a finder's fee or something. Yeah. <laughs> Go take us out to steak dinner totally, or something at least. I totally that. forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah. So what, what was your background uh, before Docmo? Give us a, give us the history of uh, what you worked on before this and what's led up to it. So grew up on a farm. So I like doing all the outdoorsy mechanical type stuff. Studied mechanical engineering. 
Mm-hmm. Started working at Chicago Bridge and Iron, CBNI, no longer around, but I was helping design oil refineries. And then I went to the field and I was building fuel tanks, welding and rigging steel and all that. I really enjoyed. Where did that, where were you doing that? Where was that field work at in those refineries? Uh, I lucked out. A lot of my, I was in the uh, EIT, engineer and training program. All of my, all of my buddies were going to like the man camps in the tundras of Canada or <laughs> desert storm, Middle East. <laughs> I got San Diego, Long Beach, Hawaii, <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> It was so cool. I spent four and a half months in Hawaii working on Pearl Harbor. We were replacing a roof on a fuel tank with bullet holes still from World War II. That's so that's pretty cool, cool, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So, I'd, like, I'd like cut a piece off and just like save it. And, I, yeah, I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a. Uh, you sound like Jake. Jake's time in the in the military here and Marines. Oh yeah, everybody's like, everybody's like, like, where'd you where'd you go to the bad places? And I'm like, nah, it was San Diego. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, I, I paid my dues at Twenty Nine Palms, which is the worst place you could possibly go. But I was there for a year. But in the last three years, San Diego, like just. Chill. I mean, you can't beat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that. But uh, being there definitely beats the hell out of being in the Middle East or in uh, in the the tundras of of Canada. That so awful. that's that's pretty cool and interesting. I mean, just getting to do industrial work like. You know, one cool thing that I got to do is I worked on an oil well right in the middle of Los Angeles one time. And yeah. it's not a place that you usually think of when you think of industry. And so it's cool getting to have those experiences. One of my first experiences in Southern California was in a, I think it was a McDonald's parking lot, like in Long Beach. I don't know where it was. In the middle of the city, there's a well in the parking lot just fenced off like you would see like the electrical box oh yeah yeah <laughs> right there in the parking well lot. you know funny story on that i've probably told this story before i've heard this story about seven times this week i actually just told it like i told it like <laughs> i told it like yesterday actually but it blows my fucking mind because people in california have no idea that there's actually oil fields there and so I go to work on this well. It's in Brea, which is a suburb in, in LA. And my stepmom's family's in town. They live in Brea. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually going there to work on an oil well. And they're like, well, we didn't know there was there was oil wells there. And I told, show them the address. It's two miles from their house. Yeah. And I get there, major intersection. Dude, there's a pump jack in the parking lot of this country club on the corner of the intersection. Like, I'm actually thinking, like, how the fuck do they get a workover rig here to service this thing? Because, I mean, it is right on the corner. And Money people, pays. People drive by that every day and just never ask themselves, like, hey, what is that thing going up and down? And then you go right. out to Huntington Beach. And, I mean, there's deep water rigs right off right off the yep. coast. And yep. so, yeah, it's a pretty interesting dynamic there in California of how removed people are from energy and and different types of industries when it's – Right there. In the, I mean, Bray is. I mean, Huntington Huntin- Huntin- Beach back in the day, if you look at those old photos, actually on the beach itself. Just wood derricks. Yeah, just wood derricks <laughs> for as, like, as far as you can see, which is so crazy to think of. It is. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. So you uh, you go do this work. You get to see some really cool shit, work at Pearl Harbor, and then and then what? Kind of during that time, I, you know, I'm the engineer. I'm not like actually doing the welding, of course. And so I'm in the office. I'm using Excel. I became the Excel guy. You're welding with Excel. Got it. Yeah. Basically, yeah, right. <laughs> became the Excel guy. What's so funny is, so I'm like the, this young, like, let's go get it engineer. And my boss on Monday morning says, Lee, here's what we need. I need this on Thursday by Thursday afternoon. I said, Mike, I'll have this done this afternoon, Monday afternoon. 
He says, Lee, we need it Thursday. <laughs> that was like, that was shocking to me. And so I was building very crude macros and just automation and kind of getting it done. He called it black magic. He said, don't use that here. We don't want to use it because, and in his defense, because there was an opportunity for it to mistakes to go unchecked. You automate the production of 400 data reports. Some of them might've had a mistake unless you do nice coupon samples and all that. So I saw his point, but I completed a six month assignment in six weeks. Yeah. I mean, just due to some little automation, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think the, that started speaking for itself and I was getting called into other departments and long story short, I spent two years with them and then quit to start this. That's awesome. So what brought you to Houston? Was it, was it that job or? Uh, two reasons. The main reason is love. Main reason is love, yeah. <laughs> oh, we got, we got so it's a good reason? Yeah. yeah. We got a love story here. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> so uh, the short story is my wife. My wife, at my girlfriend at the time, she was living here. She works in the med center. She's got a good job. Um, I kind of wanted to move. I'm from South Carolina, so I wanted to move back east a little bit. So that yeah. that kind of kind of parlayed, but. Yeah. Love story. I, yeah. <laughs> Happy to expand it. So, so, <laughs> so, so you made it back out, um, you know, you're Southeast, uh, a little bit. So oh, yeah. further East than you were out in uh, California, but it's also a good place for you to be too with what you're, with what you're building. So, um, did you start building this once you got to, once you got to Houston or were you already, did you already have this, uh, idea in mind? Tell us a little bit about the ideation. Yes. Yeah, so 2011, I started my entrepreneurial endeavor. My first year in business, I made a killing. I made $300. Nice. Dude, <laughs> been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at that, at that point, the business was called Mongoose Coding, and we were just building macros, Excel macros, basically. I was doing what I did at CBNI. And so I kind of, and then we started getting bigger and bigger customers. Is this purely on a consulting basis? Or were you like prepackaging yeah. certain things? In the consulting, design? consulting, consulting basis. Um, and we fell into some construction companies, document aut like automating their contract packages and things like that. We built a inventory management system for a laboratory at UC University, UC San Diego. Um, we worked for, did some real fancy reporting, like multi, multi hierarchy of data management in Excel to produce like for Dell, a report that would be like four, four or 40 pages long based on. We're building that type of stuff, consultative. And so a lot of that was around document automation. Mm -hmm. So we, we grew. I had a team of five people. And the honest story is I failed to manage the business very well. We, I, for some reason, I was against having processes in place because they limited human creativity. You got to mm. follow the procedure, just dumb, blind, follow, you know. It's a, hard, it's a hard line to tote, right? Especially with like, I mean, we, we experience this all the time. It's like, you know, you kind of, you put standard operating procedures in place and then you kind of grow past them and then things break. But then you want the team to kind of bring more ideas. Like, hey, how the, how the hell do we do this better? Right. 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 I think it's, I don't know what the proper balance of it is, but it's challenging. So it's not just you. I think it's everybody. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, so that, that was ultimately, I think, the reason why I failed to scale the business. You know, we were, we were making money, but we started missing budget. We were missing timeline. We were missing quality. You know, that doesn't feel good to deliver yeah. a product that yeah. doesn't perform well, you know. So I, I 
cut the team back down. We stopped taking new customers. We just kept our tried and true customers. And, you know, I kind of made a decision at that point. Do I want to run a project-based consultative business only, I'll say? And my answer was, no, I don't. That's it's more difficult to, to manage that. Because it's like, hey, you're done with the project. Do you need some more? Like, I'd like to do some more work for you. That's kind of a difficult sell. And so we pivoted into Docmo, which is, so now we have the SaaS product, intelligent automation for data documents and emails. That's your, it's an add-in to Excel, pull data into Excel using basically Excel as the configuration file. You can use formulas and create charts and make sure you have three decimals, four decimals, all the conversions, pull your data and do all that. Boom, put it into emails, files, PDFs. Yeah. It's insanely simple. Insanely simple. So that's our SaaS product now. And of course, we still have our consultative side as well. Yeah. I imagine, um, you know, there's a pretty, consulting businesses are hard, right? And they're, they're just hard to scale by, by nature because it is a service business. Uh, you eat what you kill. Just like you said, you know, you finish up a project and it's like, hey, can we get, can we get another one? And so, um, you know, paradigm shift for you saying, hey, let's actually turn the things that we do into a, SaaS based product where people can actually automate and do these things themselves, which is, uh, I mean, is a, a great evolution of, of the work in thinking. And so, um, you know, what, what challenges did you have in terms of kind of making, making that switch from taking it from purely consulting service based to, Hey, now we're actually a product company. Oh man. I, I should have read a couple books. <laughs> for sure yeah i should have read a few more books and it's just incredible the difference between building a product for you and your business versus building a product that many people can use mm -hmm. not even to the point where they can self-configure it like that's even one step further but just building a product that you can distribute to many different businesses update to many different businesses, not ruin their unique configuration as it's just a big leap. It's I make mean, or break. <laughs> you just 100%. have to do all that stuff. Yeah. You have to do all that stuff. And with the consultative side, we didn't ever really need to do that because we had a very close relationship with the customers. It's all a phone call, an email, a personalized thing, you know. But if you got a couple dozen customers and you got to push an update out, you're not going to send an email to to all of them, you know. Yeah. So, so what do you what do you attribute the, to the success of of making that switch? Everything you just talked about. Uh just persistence more yeah. than anything else. I mean, you learn like you got to decide where am I going to host my code? How do I do automatic updates? How do we authenticate our users? Like all there's a dozen more questions like that that I did not have to answer on the consultative side. Yeah. But. So how did you go about the the technicalities of that? Like you're talking about authenticating users and hosting. Um, did you go and develop the software to yourself? Do you have other co-founders? How did you guys actually go about building the product? Yeah, so so I'm a technical founder. My my weakness is marketing and sales. Um, I I'm lucky to be bullheaded enough to just go figure it out. And he's got good soft skills. He's bullshitting. Yeah. I don't yeah. believe. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the the lucky thing is like nowadays and for the past 10, 15 years, there's been so many good online resources. Mm -hmm. You can go to digitalocean.com. They're like a hosting yeah. provider. They'll tell you how to spin up your own Linux server. They'll, they have great documentation. You got to stumble through it, of course, but that's basically what, what I did, you know, and 
Since then, I have built our own proprietary encryption thing. That's it's awesome. just like a simple, just a little more security for the customers. We have our own authentication. We've got a bunch of our own internal, you know, operational type technology. You reuse that on different projects and things. Dude, I mean, it's such an amazing time to build because you just have to be resourceful, right? Actually, our product manager just gave Julie, Julie's one of our co-founders, just complimented her the other day. She's like, I'm so impressed by your technical ability. Like, she's like, you are straight up developing shit and you don't even like give yourself credit for that <laughs> and so and julie's just like the most resourceful person just googling and youtubing and figuring out how to build and so it's, totally. it's a really exciting time because you can take you can identify these problems within businesses and workflows and then go figure out how to actually make a solution for it so right that's really cool i mean yeah. i like i just like people that build shit so i don't believe you that you're you're bad at sales because <sighs> he's got that's what I didn't even assume he had the the technical skills. I thought he was the the biz dev, yeah, <laughs> the, the biz dev guy. I, I would I'll say though, talking. I'm very comfortable talking to people. I love meeting interesting people like y'all. Yeah, but the I promise you, there's some switch in my brain that I don't have. You have to like dumb it down enough to make the marketing concise and effective. Yeah, but. I, I just take it too technical all the time. Oh, I want to explain like how the features work. So that's, that's, what, that's where the engineer in you comes out. That's, I, yeah, I right, actually, yeah. I was just talking to a founder last week and she was uh, telling me about what she's building. And I said, hey, look, I said, we need to simplify your story. I said, it's a problem with every single engineer, geophysicist that I talk to. You want to talk about super features and yeah, nuts and yeah, bolts yeah. and how it all works. Super fucking smart. <laughs> But we need to boil it down to the bare the bare necessities yeah. for storytelling and to get yeah, people right. to understand. So that's uh, we should actually just host some workshops on that sometime because that's actually sign me up. Really, yeah. you know, one of my uh, favorite stories that we've had on the podcast was Duke and which yeah. one? Uh, Duke. Um, Duke. What's his company's name? Duke. Fuck, I'm, I'm I'm forgetting. But anyways, um, he came on and um, was just talking about how he's an engineer. Oh. He's an engineer. And he's also an immigrant. And so, you know, he's got a heavy accent. He's out there in West Texas. And every night he started taking these sales courses to develop the soft skills yeah, and just yeah. go out there and, and, and yeah, I remember he was so. like, yeah, I'm leaving, leaving the podcast and going to my sales class. And I was like, that's all like, why haven't, why haven't more founders <laughs> talked about like, Hey, I like, I need these like, so I mean, you absolutely need it as a founder. Founder led sales is definitely like yeah. a thing no and it's so 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 powerful especially in like the early days so let's talk let's talk about that too for docmo um you know being in houston i mean it sounds like this is agnostic to to industry i'm i'm assuming but um just being in houston you know energy is probably a big big focus um talk to us a little bit about that what industries you guys are are trying to target or serving you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. It is very agnostic. And, you know, we've been lucky to have customers kind of all across the board. Our, our main niches are what I call engineering, obviously, including the energy space and finance. Yep. There's a lot of Excel use in finance. You know, we're doing a lot of work for bank and middle market lenders and things like that. Mm -hmm. But Shell is a customer. Dell is a customer. Harley Davidson is a customer. Um, and that that's actually one it's kind of a boon and a bane because we're kind of all over. We work for marketing companies and CROs, like contract research organizations in the biotech space all over, but that's not how you scale a pipeline. Like, yeah. what do you need? We can do it for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like where do you focus your efforts, right? Like, how do you high grade who's going to be the most qualified 
potential candidates when everybody's a potential candidate. And the, uh, be- yeah. and the best <clears throat> companies to work with, too. Absolutely. From perspective. Uh, yeah, so, so that's the question that I'm answering now. Yeah. And, you know, you talk partly as well with our last conversation. You know, we're, we're raising capital now. Our first, we've been bootstrapped for 11 years, profitable, but not like we don't have millions in the bank type profitable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So raising some money to uh, get some get some help with yeah. that. Yeah. Either that's going to be like a sales and marketing co-founder or, you know, a VC, like strategic capital with, with that type of help. Yeah. Um, so I wish I had a good answer for you. You know, I would say engineering and finance, you know, but I mean, actually one of my good buddies, super intelligent guy in the, uh, the insurance space, he basically just needs like a repeatable template and he wants to sell that to all of his we're automating the report for like comparing some quotes basically, but there's tons of opportunity and I just need to decide, let's pick one damn vertical, one specific niche, kill that one. And you know, have you guys heard of crystal reports? Yeah. Back in the day that was, I don't know if it's still popular. No, it used to be back when I was pitching uh, GDS where 10 years ago, it was like, yeah, we use Crystal Reports. It kind of sucks, comes up short in a lot of different ways, but it's something that everybody uses. And so like the number one thing that despite all the cool stuff that we did, people wanted better reporting. They wanted to be able to build the reports the way that they wanted them. And then everybody within the company had a different way that they wanted the report. And so, and then I guess Crystal Reports was very, very limited in on, on how you could do that. And it was one of the things that every single EMP that we talked to was like Crystal Reports, Crystal Reports, yeah. Crystal Reports. Yeah. And I was That's like, who is Crystal and how are they reporting? <laughs> she would be great. Yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's the go to. And, and the problem with this industry is this yeah, the industry, I'll say, is that Crystal Reports was built in the 90s. Yep. That's for the engineering industries. It's a code based document automation. They're, hor- they're even, e- well, they're almost as bad at marketing as, as I am. You know, I think on their side, they're like pixel perfect reports or something like that. But you know what? As of a few years ago, they're making $400 million a year still in subscription. Wow. That's just because people need document automation. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a code base. You will hire Crystal Reports developers to get your reports as you need them. Yeah. And people have them on staff, which begs the question, why the hell do you need that many reports? Mm-hmm. Are your reports changing that much? And the answer is, yeah. Of course they are. You may not have a brand new whole portfolio of reports every month, but business changes, you know, yeah. and so yeah. must your software and your reports and everything else. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, I'm always perplexed about the stickiness of uh, software in industries like this. I mean, literally things built in the 90s and early 2000s, and they're still a part of. And not, not just that they're being used, but still have a significant amount of market share. Yeah, <laughs> it, this is a incredible topic. I, I spoke about this topic several, oh, maybe two years ago, and it, it, it's fascinating. It's so so business changes, right? Your software needs to keep up. The problem that people get into is that people don't sometimes they don't think that soft. It's not like intuitive that software needs maintenance, like. Your house needs maintenance. Your car needs maintenance. You know, a business itself needs maintenance. Your you body know? needs maintenance. Right, right. But some, somehow the software space is like a little bit orphaned on that. And so your business changes and your initial implementation of Crystal Reports 
I'll assume was perfect. Excellent. It worked very well. Everyone was very happy with it. But six months, a year, two, three, four years go by, you don't have your Crystal Reports dev on staff. And Jerry in the business changes. You add more people. You add more business units. You have more products. Everything changes and you have to be fluid. That's right. right. And your software has to follow and it doesn't follow a lot of the time. That's how you get legacy Mm -hmm. software. And that's how, and you're still better off using that legacy software because it gets maybe 80% of the job done, then 70, then 60, then 50% of the job done. And rather than just trash it, you're still going to use it, of course, but the gap is is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I love solutions like this where people see it firsthand you know, have domain expertise, doing the work. I love like stories like stories like yours where you're just like, why the fuck are we doing things like this? Like, I think so many people will like glorify the super, super innovative things that VCs want to come in and dump billions of dollars into. But I think some of the coolest businesses are the quote unquote kind of the boringer businesses where you're actually solving real needs and you can actually build sustainable businesses like what you talked about with Chris Reports. There should There's, be there should be more hype around that. I had a with conversation you. with a co-founder. Uh, his company went through Y Combinator and got backed by Tier One VC. I'm not going to say their name. And you know the guy's uh, story was, you know, we had a company, we sold it to Amazon, we worked at Amazon, and then we decided that we wanted to start another company. We're tired of the productivity tools and all the other fluff that Silicon Valley is coming out with. Like we wanted to make. Um, software for people who actually do shit. And so they made something that's in industry. And, um, you know, these guys are really cool. Love them. Uh, But I've always had a big belief that the solutions are built by people that actually dealt with (laughs) the problems, not Silicon Valley, white combinator companies coming in and actually fixing them. Um, It's someone that sat in front of a computer or in front of a, I mean, you know, actually out there on projects and you know how people think you see everything from end to end from the actual models in Excel and the CAD files to how things actually get executed out in the field. I mean, that's shit that you learn over years of doing it, not just, uh, you know, coming from Silicon Valley and saying, Hey, I think this is a problem. And I've talked to some people. Then you know, there's a market, right? You think about like, I don't know what the percentage is. Let's just say half, half the startups out there that are going out and raising money are raising money on a theory right? It's all theoretical. They think there's a market. They think that they can kind of grow into it, but it's totally different when you have those years of experience throughout your career. You've seen it. You are the person that you're building it for, which I think a lot of the most successful startups we've talked to kind of come from the same, I mean, look, right? Then you know there's a market for it. Right. Mark Bohoric at Q Engineering. Built it for himself. Uh, Armand and Jeremy at Combo Curve. Built it for themselves. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Another one. <right? laughs> <Yeah>. Another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, software has no value unless it has an application, right? And so if you're a software, you can be the best software engineer in the world, but if you don't have an application and the right architecture to solve that application, not only the application for today, but expected changes going forward into the future, that last part is hugely important. The software is going to become outdated or too costly to maintain. Maintainability you know, relevance, stickiness of software mm-hmm. is still undervalued hugely today. Yeah. You'll buy a multi-million dollar Salesforce implementation based on six months of consulting and brochures and say, let's go, baby. It's going to be perfect. It's going to take six months, a year, a year and a half to get it implemented. Two things are the problem. Your requirements definition, you were too arrogant and you thought that your requirements definition was perfect. Of course, it's not going to be perfect. Come on, mm-hmm. right? There's 
problem number one. And then sometimes it takes so long to implement it. Business has changed in that time. And so you're building it for last year's business. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love that. So we got to, we got to wrap up the show. If people are interested in checking out DocMo, uh, you said you're raising capital. If there's investors out there that are interested in talking to you, where can they, uh, where can they find DocMo? What's the website? Are you on LinkedIn? Yeah, we're on LinkedIn. The, the, the website is conquerbusywork.com or docmo.co. Con <laughs> Conquerbusywork.com is easier. I'll dig it. take you there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, cool. Email is inquiry at docmo.co. Awesome. We'll leave a uh, link in the show notes. Dude, appreciate you running by. It's uh, always good to chop it up with Houston founders and uh, I'm excited about what you guys are building. So thanks for taking the time to do this. Thanks a lot. All right, guys, if you like this show, make sure to share it. Let's point to the camera. I don't know which camera was camera's over here. I was pointing at Jake. <clears throat> like the show. Make sure to share it with a friend. It's how we grow. We only grow if you share it. So share it on LinkedIn. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Go Instagram. check these guys out. Email it. I don't give a shit. Just share it. <laughs> Catch you guys on the next one. Come, 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 come.